I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome back to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I am one of your hosts. My name is Dan. Uh, joining us today is a panel of DASIS folks, and we're going to get some introductions here. But we are kicking off uh, the the month of April with Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Uh, and we talked in our previous episode about that a little bit, but today we are talking about this particular idea that uh, our children are at risk for uh, about sexual assault. They're also at risk with child abuse, which is also April's Awareness Month. But this particular conversation started because I, Dan, found this this article that talked about how parents are afraid of scaring their children by talking to them about sexual abuse, but they're also afraid not to talk to them about it. So as parents, what do we do? And so I just, I, I, I had invited this, this panel on with us today, and I'm going to start with our executive, executive director, Krista. Krista DeBoer is here with me. Krista, welcome. Hey, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And then if you would, uh, the panel is made up of, of your staff, the staff of DASIS who report to you, I guess you don't own them, um, but our, our staff here. So if you'd like to go ahead and make some introductions, that'd be great. Sure. So on our panel, we have our lovely staff members, um, Lydia, Lydia Hewitt, who is our sexual assault advocate. We have our wonderful child advocate named Marissa. Oh, Presbytero. And then also our sexual assault therapist, Guadalupe Nelson. Uh, excellent. So we have some experts here today, for sure. Um, we also, uh, I'm, I'm guessing a little bit of like maybe the, the parent label as well, or at least we all have, have parents, I suppose. Um, and so this question, and anyone can go ahead and jump in. And if you would, when you start to give me an answer, um, just quick, quickly say your name so listeners can recognize who you are. Um, but when I say to you, uh, so as a parent, I'm afraid of scaring my children by talking to them about sexual abuse, but I'm also afraid not to talk to them. What do I do? What comes to mind for you as a, a DASIS expert? Well, I can start the conversation. Um, my previous role was as the sexual assault therapist. And um, I know that this is a hard subject for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. So if you're a parent who um, is scared to talk to your children about this subject, that's totally normal because it's not something that feels good or comfortable or something that um, we want to have a conversation about. Um, and so, you know, and on the other hand, it's really important that we do have these conversations with our children because of the statistics. So, um, 
for girls, it's one in three who will experience sexual abuse. Um, and I believe that's before 18. And then for boys, it's one in five. And some experts believe it's actually closer to one in four. The other thing about those statistics are that those are the numbers that are actually reported. So it's probably, you know, unfortunately higher, um, but those but those numbers just reflect the ones that are reported. So I will I'll say that to start out the conversation um, that it's it's a difficult subject to talk about. Thank you for that, Krista. Yeah, it, it, it is scary, you know, and personally, I have uh, two kids who are right now as we record this about to turn 15 and 16. So they're actually 14 and 15. Uh, but we've been talking to them from very early on, uh, you know, both both daughters. And it's really sad that we have to teach them to protect themselves. But that's that's the, the, the world in which we live. But it's been a long journey of how do we talk to them? What's age appropriate? All that kind of stuff. Um, again, we don't want to scare them to out of saying hi to strangers or whatever. Or, you know, and again, we know that assault doesn't, isn't just strangers that come out of the bushes or whatever. Um, this happens with people in your own network, in your circles. Um, Lydia and Marissa, what, what do you, what have you found in working with, uh, survivors? What, what should parents know when they talk to their kids about this kind of thing? I would say one thing is like, obviously it's intimidating to jump right into the sexual assault aspect of things. So one good way to do it, something Marissa taught me is like talking about boundaries, right? Especially because we know that the major, the vast majority of sexual assaults will happen with someone that the survivor knows, right? So rather than focusing necessarily on stranger danger, don't touch these parts, whatnot, focus more so on like good touch. So like, what's a good hug or what's a good holding your hand? Or do you feel comfortable when Aunt Janice comes and give you a hug, stuff like that. So I think focusing more on the positives, especially as they're younger, is a good stepping stone in kind of pursuing this very scary conversation. Mm. Oh, that's good, Lydia. Thank you for that. Yeah, I definitely agree with her on that, too, because sex in general is a hard topic for um, parents to talk about with their kids, let alone sexual abuse and sexual assault. Um, so it definitely you need to start that but it's using the correct language. So definitely parents should look into that and research what language they should use because you don't want to scare your kid away from it and um, make them more afraid than they need to be. But it is something that they do need to understand and know about from a pretty early age. Hmm. And this is, you know, I mentioned I have daughters. This is sons and daughters, um, you know, both genders, all gender spectrum. Uh, Guadalupe, as a sexual assault therapist, um, what is your experience and how we are talking to our kids and what they maybe should know or, or this kind of thing? My experience is that uh, the thing is that some parents are afraid to talk to their children. They don't know how to have this conversation. And I believe that that's a conversation that it needs to be done at an early age. Um, so they know what their private part, parts are uh, how to take care of themselves, and most importantly, uh, have um, a good communication with your children about um, uh, what is uh, a good touch and a bad touch. And um, 
And other thing that is very important is that uh, children have that communicate a good communication with the parents that they're able to um, to talk to them about things that make them feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, not keeping secret from secrets from um, for from the parents. And the other thing is that parents should be able to um, to trust their children when they they say, um, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable with this person, you know, and talk to them about about like, okay, you know, if you're not comfortable, you don't need to be with that person. Mm. You know, until recently, you know, then the last few years here, when I've been volunteering with DASIS, it never necessarily occurred to me, you know, Guadalupe, what you just said about if you don't feel comfortable with that family member or that friend, um, Lydia and Marissa, you mentioned, you know, when so-and-so hugs you, is that okay? Talking about consent language, hugging, all these seemingly innocent things where we say to our kids, oh, go give Uncle Joe a hug. I don't really want, no, just come on, come on. You know, and, and it becomes, they don't have charge of their own body from an early age when they, when they should. I mean, is that something that's relatively new that we're talking about? Or has this been talked about for a long time and, and I, I'm just finally hearing about it? Well, I personally think that, you know, this isn't something new that started happening. I just think we're now allowing children to express themselves and tell their parents when they feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. to try and prevent it a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like Lydia said earlier about most of the time it is somebody you know. So it's not like all of a sudden it just became people you know that are abusing you. It has always been that way. It's just, it's brought more to the attention of I think the public Mm -hmm. and allowing those children to do what makes them feel comfortable and allow them to decide what or what they consent to and what they don't. And I think what I hear too is Guadalupe, you said, believe, believe your kids. I wrote that down, believe your kids. and we talk about that and I choose to believe survivors, right? But this is also when somebody comes to you and says, this is happening, believe them, listen to them, empathy yeah. and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to believe the, the, a child that is telling you that he feels uncomfortable or she feels uncomfortable um, about certain situations. And most importantly, that parents have to have that conversation and trust your children about what they're telling you. You know, years before, like people used to not talk about it. You know, there were so many abuse, uh, case abuses in the church and, you know, with, uh, you know, very name, you know, very uh, famous um, athletes um, having this issue and not talking about it. Uh, for what reason um, that they weren't comfortable talking to the parents about, you know, the something that was happening to them and they weren't able to talk to their parents. So I think parents um, should be aware of those things and have those conversations, um, you know, at the level of, you know, if they're younger, you know, have a conversation about like, um, naming their private parts and what they are, you know, uh, and usually tell them about how can they express their feelings. 
But sometimes children don't know how to express their feelings and they don't know, they know that there is something uncomfortable, but they don't know what that is. So I think it's important to uh, tell our children, um, you know, what does it make you, what does it feel to feel uncomfortable? So I think it's very important to have that conversation with children. Yeah. And something I've seen with my survivors too, is that like, if you instill the ability at a young age to be able to express how you're feeling, to be able to express, hey, I really don't feel comfortable with you giving me a hug, that kind of helps empower them as they grow up to be able to practice consent language. Cause like, it's easy to mm-hmm. think like if you're in an intimate situation with someone and you say no, then that other person should stop. But it's it gets gray when you think, oh, but I feel like I have to now, or they made me uncomfortable, so I'm going to do this anyways. That's where it kind of gets into that gray area. But if you instill in them at a young age, like, hey, I don't feel comfortable with this. Hey, I know even if I feel pressured, I still don't have to do this. And just empowering them in that way, mm-hmm. that helps them a lot in the safety regard. Mm-hmm. Lydia, what you're talking about is Um, understanding that gray area, that if something doesn't feel uncomfortable or it doesn't feel right, then it's not really that gray anymore. Um, Like you were talking about being able to have those conversations about consent, because um, we don't want people to feel that they were coerced into something that they don't necessarily want to do, right? Because that's sexual assault. And so how do we move then from that what we tend to think of as this gray area is actually this is sexual assault. This isn't something that I felt comfortable with. I didn't want to do this. And I felt like um, I had to. All those things, we consider those to be sexual assault. And so that's where I would go back and say, it's why it's so important to say, I hear your story. I believe you. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, How can I support you? Because a lot, I think a lot of people are like Lydia was talking about, I think that's that gray area. And, and really, like, if it's something that I'm uncomfortable with that I didn't want, maybe I didn't have the words in the moment, maybe I didn't want it in the moment, and I just didn't know how to express it. Um, and, and so that's that's part of that whole sexual assault language that we talk about, when we're, especially when we're talking about consent. That's why it's so important. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Lydia. Yeah, yeah for sure. <clears throat> and, you know, you hear, as, as our as our understanding evolves and we are able to better define things, um, we gain an understanding about stories. We, we listen better for some of us anyway, uh, you know, things change. And whereas at one time giving your uncle a hug who just won't leave you alone and not being able to say no, wasn't that big of a deal. Now it is. Or um, Chris, when you were saying, you know, coercion right is sexual assault and where when you feel pressure that becomes coercion and that's sexual assault and it used to it used to be you know and and right now while recording this there's this discussion over like cartoons Pepe Le Pew Um, as silly as that is for some people like that's a real thing when you are stalked when you are coerced like these are real and so I set all that up to say I, I hear some people saying but we're just too sensitive it's just too much. Which is just, we just need to just relax. And I hear that. <clears throat> and I understand the frustration of some of this. But in all reality, like this stuff is real. People feel 
coerced. People are assaulted. And if we can teach our children this earlier on by having these conversations, um, Guadalupe, when you said, when we are talking about feelings, name your feelings, that isn't talking about sexual assault. That's setting it up so that you can talk about it because they trust you because they can tell your feelings that there's a lot going on here. And so I just, I applaud each of you for giving, giving parts of that story. And I want to kind of bring it together in that little piece, because I do hear that from people. And part of me, I understand. It just feels like a lot to learn. But at the end of the day, our kids deserve our protection. They deserve our love and respect. And when we have to empower them. Um, so that's my soapbox moment. Sorry. I got off on a soapbox there. Um, well, can I jump on that bandwagon? Yeah, really quick? please because, go ahead, Krista. Yeah. Because I think that um, parents too need that same information. If we can empower our parents and understand why this is important and, and, and why we can talk to our kids about this. And especially because, um, sometimes sexual assault is generational. So, you know, parents might've experienced sexual assault and then, um, you know, it, their kids might've experienced it. And so how do the, the parents are empowered, like they can be the ones that can break this cycle and it can start with something as simple as having conversations. Um, and I wanted to kind of throw out there too. Um, sometimes it's easier to, if you're going to have conversations with your kids, especially if they're younger, um, that there's some really good books out there that, um, talk about body safety consent. Um, my body belongs to me is one of them. There's lots of other ones. And, and I would encourage parents to, to go through those books and just know what the content of it is, and then be able to go back and read it with their kids. Cause sometimes books have a way of breaking things down and it makes it less, um, sometimes awkward than having a conversation and it can open up, like they can ask questions and it can be like a interactive thing. So, um, there's different ways if you're feeling uncomfortable to make it a little bit more, helpful and easier to, to have those kind of conversations. So that's just what I wanted to throw in there too, because if we can um, help our parents, caregivers understand the importance and the whys of what we're doing and why we want to change language and perceptions and how, you know, even sexual assaults is portrayed, you know, in the media um, and why it's important. I think that we're more likely to get people to be on board with where we want to go. Yeah, great. No, thank you for mentioning that. I had written down to ask you about resources. That's great. We'll put some resources in the show notes. Um, so dasmi.org uh, or in the show notes on your podcast player that you're listening to. Um, I'd love to offer up a final piece of, of encouragement or advice uh, from each of you to parents who are in that, mo that mode of, I don't want to scare my kids, but I got to talk to them. And they're realizing that, yep, I can do this. What is the final encouragement? Guadalupe, let's start with you. What's a piece of advice or encouragement that you want to offer parents? I think that um, even though it's not a comfortable talking about uh, this uh, sexual abuse, I think it's very important to have that conversation. And not only that, is to, um, is to talk to your children and um, tell them that uh, no matter what they do, uh, they are always going to be believed and trusted. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also I have to agree with um, uh, Krista, uh, reading books about sexual abuse or really good books about that, it's, it makes it easier for parents to, uh, to process with children um, stories about other children so they can ask their own questions. 
Excellent. Uh, Lydia, how about, how about you? What, what kind of advice or encouragement do you have for parents? So my biggest one would just be probably educating yourself on like the dynamics surrounding sexual assault. So like Kristen, I mentioned before I started this job, when I heard a sexual assault or rape, I thought of like a very forcible, very violent interaction, but it's not always that, like it can be that coercion. It can be that manipulation. And it's not, it's not necessarily going to be like a quick thing, like a one-time thing that you'll notice right away. It's a very slow process. And a lot of the times we call that grooming, but we don't always necessarily notice that. So I think just like being aware of everything that sexual assault is and everything that like sexual harassment has to play into that is very important. And teaching your kids about that is very important. Thank you for that. Marissa, how about you? Um, I would say when somebody tells you that they've been sexually assaulted or they feel uncomfortable to pay attention to your reactions and be aware of what you're, how you're responding. Because if you think of it as, simple as when a baby falls and they kind of look to you to see how you're reacting. And if you freak out, they freak out. Um, a lot of times it's the same with that and they'll freak out and they'll stop talking to people about it. And this is something that's already underreported as it is. So we need to make sure that when people are telling them, we believe them and we understand and we're here to help them instead of shutting it down right away saying, no, your family member would never do that. Your friend would never do that. And just believing them and reacting in a way that makes them feel comfortable to talk to you. Great advice. Absolutely. And Krista, let me wrap it up with you, executive director. Uh, what, what encouragement can you offer parents who are in that position of, I don't want to scare them, but I want to do it. What do I do? What do you, what do you have? First of all, I think that if you're having these conversations as a parent or caregiver, um, it's a very brave choice. And so I applaud all the parents and caregivers who are willing to step into that space. Um, I think that I have two thoughts. One is if a child does, if your child does disclose, like Marissa was saying, having that calm response, ask the kind of questions that you need to be able to get a little bit more information. Um, and then there's organizations like DASIS who can help walk you through some of those next steps. Um, so you don't have to do it alone. And it's really, as parents and caregivers, it's hard not to um, feel shame or blame um, because this has happened to your child. And I think it's really important that that gets placed on the perpetrator because that's really where it goes. They are responsible for their actions. Um, and Again, we have here at DASIS, especially we have resources for parents as well. Um, so you don't have to go through it alone. Mm -hmm. The second thing I think that um, is, I guess I'll, to wrap it up is when survivors come forward, it takes a lot of courage and it can be really scary. Mm -hmm. And the more that we as a society, um, you know, out, kind of outside of our DASIS roles can learn to believe survivors, the more that we can teach our children. Um, I think the more change we can create um, and we can be, it might sound corny, but we can be the change that we want to see. If we think that this needs to be changed and the way that things are being seen needs to be changed and the way that we're talking about consent language and all these things need to change, 
Um, I think they can, and it can start with each one of us. Very good. Thank you all, Guadalupe and Krista and Lydia and Marissa. Thank you for the work you do with DASIS, for, for standing up for kids, for helping them, uh, for being a part of this conversation. Parents and caregivers, have the conversation. It might feel awkward, but it's worth it. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.